0: Hi, and welcome to A Lot of Thoughts with Julia Malat. This week, I sit down with Catherine Crones, Eva Kirilova, Neil Doran, and Lois Cardinal to take a deep dive into pronouns, classical liberalism, and a discussion around current political discourse on gender matters. I was really excited to have this conversation, and it certainly didn't disappoint. After my first discussion with Chanel and Catherine and the backlash from radical feminists, Catherine and I wanted to take a deeper dive into the conversation. Prior to this chat, I hadn't had the opportunity to connect with Abbott, Neil, or Lois, so it was exciting to connect with them all in one go. Hello, everybody. Hello. Oh, there we go. Someone <laughs> said hello back. Thanks for joining me today.
1: <laughs> I thought you were talking to the audience. now.
0: Right? Yeah, the yeah, audience. Yeah, me too. Um, we have no audience. This isn't live. We will have an audience. Thanks for joining me tonight. Um, to record this episode, my name is Julia Mallot, and today I have with me Katherine Cronus. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hey, Julia.
2: Good to um, spend some time with uh, Eva and Lois and Neil with you today. My name is Katherine Cronus. I am um, a mom of two children who are in the Hamilton Wentworth School Board. Um, really concerned about some of the things that are happening in education, and I started to. Uh, organize um, other parents and educators across Canada who are also concerned and I've basically founded the Lighthouse Network back in 2021 and so ever since then I've been um, learning about these topics and um, talking about them and and (laughs) organizing with
0: other people. Um, Neil do you want to introduce yourself? Um, Sure I
1: am Neil. I'm probably the least interesting person here on the oppression hierarchy. I am the lowest on the totem pole. <laughs> uh, the, that's true. The old white man. Um, I am a father of two. Um, uh, they're pretty young right now, but one of them is starting school, so that's been fun. I have share some of the same concerns that Catherine has about seeing what that will be like once they get a little further into school. Um, I have a bunch of friends who are teachers, and so I sort of keep my uh, ear to the ground to find out what's going on within the um, the school system that way. Uh, my mom is a retired teacher as well. Um, and yeah, I don't know, I just have always sort of been interested in issues that related to sex and gender, and I s- found myself randomly sucked into this rabbit hole that has become this big conversation, and found, you know, after, you know... Twiddling around on the internet for a while, trying to talk to people about this, and that being very difficult to do without everyone screaming in your face. Uh, I ended up finding Eva because she turned out lived ten minutes from me, and then you know since then made a bunch of connections locally and a few more online, and so just kind of looking forward to chatting about these interesting topics.
0: Awesome! Thanks so much for joining us today, and Eva. Okay, hi,
3: I'm Eva. I am a writer, first and foremost, I and I'm on Twitter. I'm known as Canada's preeminent lesbian. I guess I have to say that. Um, <laughs> I write for a website called Gender Dissent. We follow sort of the money and influence behind the push of gender ideology in Canada. I do weekly articles for a substack called The Distance, and that's um, a substack of an organization called LGB United. Um, I also do some writing for Redux, which is the best website in the world. Um, and I also recently started my own Substack just to, just to put my own thoughts and my own writing that don't really fit anywhere else, you know, just uh, essays and stuff. And yeah, I'm really interested in all these topics. It's been great to connect with Neil and with all my other friends here in Calgary and around Canada and Lois, who is in Edmonton. Um, it's been a crazy ride so far. <laughs>
0: I didn't realize Lois was in um, Edmonton. I just you're all so far away from us, I assume well, you're all in like the exact outside same outside of Edmonton. <laughs> yeah. How far is Edmonton from you guys are in Calgary? I don't Those even know where you two are.
3: Three hours and Lois is actually actually further than that, so we're pretty far apart. <laughs> okay.
0: Good to know. Well on that yeah. note, Lois, tell us about yourself.
4: Hi, I'm Lois. I'm an opinionated post-op transsexual of fourteen years and I have I don't know. I don't know what to say about myself. It's all on the internet. It's all on my Twitter. And you could find my Twitter at Duchess underscore L or the obituaries.
0: I love how you said it's all on the internet. Because I think that's true of a lot of people in this conversation. And I've, I've yeah. never spoken to three of you before. But I know a lot about you because it's all on the internet. And I think it's where we learn things exactly. nowadays. Oh, no, I'm
3: it's wrong. all out there. It's all there.
4: It's and all I'm out really there. I'm
1: curious.
3: What are you curious about? I know, about?
4: but if you Google my name like Lois Cardinal, it shows uh, a bunch of old ladies that passed away. So it's It like- does, I know. I, I've done that. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Just add another one. Cool. So um, we
0: wanted to tape this uh, this chat because, what was it, almost a month ago, yeah. uh, Catherine and I were in Ottawa with Chanel Fall. And so we recorded a chat similar to this. We had a bunch of hot topic um, discussions we wanted to go through. We've actually only released the first half of that. The second half is on my computer, waiting for me to bother to upload it to YouTube. Um, But in that first half, one of the questions was, are trans women women? And when they pulled that up, I was like, I don't wanna answer this one, it's so cliche. But in the answer, um, Chanel made comments about using she, her pronouns for some trans people when she wants to, including me. And this was kind of a, it wasn't even the point of the conversation. It was kind of a passing comment that she made. But when we posted that online, it got a lot of attention, um, which I didn't expect. I uh, i sent the clip to Catherine and Chanel ahead of time because I always let people see things. So I don't put something up they don't want to have go up. And we're all kind of like, yeah, that's fine. Let's post that. And then it became like a three-day affair in terms of all of the pushback that came uh, came along. And I think all of you were involved in that as well in, in various ways in terms yeah. of some of the comments. So, um so I'd love kind of everyone's thoughts on what they saw there, what happened, and then hopefully we can go into a deeper discussion about about the pronoun conversation. So who wants to go first?
3: <laughs> I guess I can. Who wants to offer of themselves thoughts, up sure. for
1: slaughter
0: first?
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going to get me cancelled for sure. Uh, sorry about my cat. Um, no, I was a little bit like i i was involved to the extent that i really didn't like uh the attacks on Chanel and you Julia um i thought people were just being i didn't mind the disagreement i know there's lots of women who draw really hard lines and that's totally fine i don't need to, them to agree but the kind of it turned into kind of personal attacks it turned into you know i was i was watching some group chats that i'm in and people were saying oh Chanel what a what a traitor she's done a 180 she's from people who don't know her <laughs> Like, um, And this was actually kind of uh, it echoed something similar that had happened uh, at the end of last year with Colin Wright, because it came to light that Colin Wright has a trans friend who he will use she her pronouns for. And I also witnessed the same thing, you know, because Colin had written a pretty influential piece about not using pronouns, uh, not using coerced pronouns like in workplaces and things like that. So people kind of levied the same accusations against him, that he's a traitor, he's changed his mind and all of this. And, and I really don't like when people make assumptions about people's opinions and stuff, you know, because I think he's been consistent. I think Chanel's been consistent. Um, so that's why I kind of jumped in. And it, only in the context of just people really grilling her and, and pretending that she was some kind of traitor. So that's why I wanted to get involved.
2: Yes, I was called a traitor too. That I was uh, betraying yeah. the movement, and also that I wasn't yeah. living according to my convictions, um, you know, et cetera. Um, they, you know, suggest some people were suggesting that I wasn't, you know, living with integrity, or I wasn't, you know, acting with integrity when I'm choosing to use um, Julia's preferred pronouns, and um, also I was levied, well, Chanel actually too but I can't speak for Janelle, but, um, you know, this idea that we were people-pleasing, um, that one too. I found it all very interesting. I wasn't expecting it because when we had the conversation, um, I think we were just sort of, we didn't really prepare for it. We just kind of just really had a unscripted... Um, casual sort of thing just wanted to talk about these things we sort of last minute even Chanel came up with these questions like just a few minutes before we sat down to talk right so we she weren't... was
0: supposed to have done them a week ahead of time but whatever yeah yeah yeah
2: anyway so Chanel um so i have a lot to talk about like this idea of using preferred pronouns I think one thing was the clip that was released, it didn't show in context the whole conversation. So people really quickly jumped to con- uh, conclusions that we would use personal pronouns and therefore, all of a sudden, we're going to want uh, you know men in women's spaces or something like that, uh, or trans women in women's spaces. And I think when you watch the whole clip, you, re- you do see both Chanel and I say, like, no, trans women are not women and we're making a distinction. But on a personal level with personal pronouns, my personal speech, what I do, um, that is in my domain. And oh, the, the one other thing that people were were um, talking about with the pronoun thing was that for do not give an inch. You know, if we have this huge problem, um, and and if you are to um, accept somebody's preferred pronouns rather than. The objective reality, the perceived objective reality, then therefore you're complicit in the system of you know basically children going down you know these you know terrible medical paths for life, right? And yeah. I reject all of that. I don't believe in the slippery slope. Um, I don't believe that first of all, like I'm people pleasing when I'm choosing to like you can't you can't determine somebody else whether they're people pleasing. Only I can decide whether I'm pleasing you know somebody or not. Uh, and I can tell you that it's not coming from there, And I can tell you that it's it's um not also coming from like my this idea that I'm lying when I'm doing it. Well, I mean, you can't tell me when I'm lying. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah,
3: I really think that it's all of a sudden, everybody on like our side, suddenly there's this idea, this this unquestionable tenet that we all seem to have apparently bought into, that it started with pronouns and it led to rapists in women's prisons. And I don't believe that either. I don't buy the slippery slope and that's fine if some people do, but then for them to turn around and act like, well, you're a traitor if you're not buying this belief that we all have apparently signed on to, which I didn't, you know, I I don't like that.
1: Okay. I, I think maybe there's some truth in that, in that that's how a lot of people would have come to understand this issue. It did start for people with, especially in Canada, right? I think for a lot of people, where they were introduced to this was the conversation around Bill C-16 and pronouns. So that would have been the first time they would have heard of any controversy about this. And then later they would have learned about men and women's prisons. And so in a way from their perception, that's how they see it having progressed because that's how they learned about the effects of Mm. some of these uh, legislative consequences. So I think that maybe even though I would agree that that's not actually the slippery slope that led us to where we are today for a lot of people, that's probably their perception of it. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, like it, it was interesting because of course, as, as that clip was going around and all this controversy was happening and, and people that, you know, Evan and I interact with regularly were going after, you know, you guys and Chanel, um, you know, Evan and I were like having this conversation back and forth off Twitter going like, what do you think about this? This is insane. And, um, we were really surprised by the way a lot of people reacted, you know, and I reached out to, cause I, I have to sort of tiptoe in these issues because, um, a lot of the people who I would say I agree with in thought or are ideologically, I'm not super popular because I'm a man. Um, and so I have to tiptoe very carefully because heaven forbid I offend certain, you know, groups of, uh, people that maybe aren't the biggest fans of men. And it's, um, But I, you know, it bothered me enough that I actually reached out to to people. And I think the thing that really bothered me was why were they going after you publicly? Why weren't they going, like, in the DMs? Because that was, that was, and so I think I posted, I don't remember, I posted something about that just saying, like, enough is enough with this stuff. Like, if you want to, if you want to take up an issue with somebody, talk to them directly, actually understand what they were trying to convey, make sure you're not misunderstanding their position. And then if you're sure of their position, you disagree with it, and then you want to take that public, go for it, knock yourself out. But there were so many people making these huge assumptions, and I think the only, the other reason that it, it compelled me to kind of stick my neck out a little bit more than I would have normally or get involved a little more than I would normally was I could understand Chanel's position because I had felt like I had just been through that. Because, um, you know, Eva and I first met Lois in person, what was it, like a month and a half, two months ago, something like that?
3: A month, yeah. A month, a yeah. About a month. Yeah.
1: We had been like, you know, Eva a lot longer and and me, you know, not maybe a year or so had been friends with Lois online, but we had not met in person. And it is different when you meet someone physically in person, right? All of a sudden, they're not this online persona where you see a slice of them through this, the filter of the internet, also through however they want to interact with the internet, right? And I know I, I would say I was someone who was much more hardline on pronouns a month ago because... For me, it was an abstract ideological concept, and it was an issue of accurate language to just dis- to communicate things, and it was the erosion of definitions of words, and I didn't like those things. But then I had this strange moment where, when I met Lois in person, and I knew about Lois ahead of time, we had an online relationship, but I met Lois in person, and it felt, you know, I th- I didn't think it would be an issue because we'd never had a conversation about Lois's preference in pronouns at all. I have no idea. I, I don't know if Lois cares. Still, to this day, has never said anything to me about it. Uh, other than, you know, what Lois says on Twitter. But in person, in a, in a small group, when we were introducing each other right away, I, I felt something that I didn't expect, which was it felt wrong for me to use male pronouns for Lois. Like, it felt like it was... I don't know how else to say it other than wrong in the moment. Like, it just didn't feel right. And... And so then i was stuck thinking about this and then of course like a couple days later all this controversy happened over the conversation you guys had with chanel and it made me really think like what am i what am what is my concern what do i actually want and then it made me go back to the basics and, and kind of like go back to first principles and think through why do i feel this way and what am i trying to convey when i'm using pronouns and i think what i settled on in the end was pronouns are not for the person you're talking about they're for the person you're talking to about someone else and you're trying to convey information about them and usually that information is related to their sex that's why we use gendered or sexed pronouns and so of course then in in the time since you know Lois has been somebody that has come up in my conversations with other people because having met Lois and then we're doing this you know fundraiser thing for Lois and well, then all of a sudden this, the Graham Linehan Substack piece and all these people were asking me questions about Lois. And I had to figure out how I wanted to talk about Lois when Lois wasn't present. And the only thing that felt right, like it only feels right if I use female or feminine pronouns for Lois, just calling Lois, she just, it fits my perception of Lois in person as a person, but I can't use those pronouns without pre-qualifying the particulars the same way lois does on twitter right this feels weird i'm like looking at lois while i'm talking about this but like you know lois does a very good job of communicating to people she interacts with on twitter that she is in her own words a post-op transsexual of 14 years and so once i it but it also matters eva and i talking about in the context right if i'm talking to adults it's very different if i'm talking to children it's it's there's a line there somewhere and i don't know we don't know where it is right i don't know what exactly what age it would kick in for me where if i was talking to someone about lois how important is it that i communicate the details about lois's sex is it and is it even relevant to what i'm talking about because in some cases it's not in some cases it is and i think that what i find most frustrating about the conversation about pronouns is it's become about people's like emotional feelings that are wrapped up in other things and it's not about real people and it's not about the the more important things which are you know i don't know if you guys saw today we were just chatting before this started about there was a national post article that came out today where there was an incident in i think um uh, london ontario or, or somewhere near you guys uh where there was an arrest of um uh someone identifying as a trans woman who Uh, 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 it was accused of assaulting someone in a a women's shelter. And that the most frustrating part about this is that you're reading this article and it's obvious from the photos that you're looking at like uh, someone with a beard with long hair and you're just trying to get the basic facts of what happened in this situation. You know, why was this person in a women's shelter? How did this come to happen? And then the article is not very long, but it ends with this little quote from inquiring to the police what the gender of this suspect was and the police come back with a quote that says this person was arrested and booked as a female and is being processed as a female and you know regardless of the pronoun issue that that's more of a broader language issue where, where it's like how can we communicate basic facts about you know cultural and, and relevant events in our society if our language has been kind of turned upside down in some cases and the same word means something completely different if coming from someone with one political bias versus the other political bias so how do we have a common conversation across that divide about just what are the facts
2: but I think there's a distinction that needs to be made in terms of this discussion on pronouns where it's what 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 we're worried about is the state basically interfering in our personal lives right the state Mm -hmm. should not compel so the police in that situation, they are basically um, calling that man a woman. In that situation, that that is not acceptable. That's not okay. And then also anybody that would be referring to that man as sorry that man as a man could could potentially like get in and in, get into some trouble or legal trouble, right? But there's a difference between that and policing interpersonal like speech between individuals. Right. right?
4: Yeah.
2: And, and that's what we're trying to protect. And actually individuals, like I don't need to treat everybody the same I can treat, cause one of the, one of the things that also came up, um, during that Twitter discourse post, um, the last video was this idea that, oh, I was treating Julia one way and by, um, by calling her, she, but I wouldn't necessarily call every trans woman she some trans women I will some people who want to identify as trans women I would call them a he because it doesn't make sense again just like you Neil it feels like for me for me to call Julia a he or for me to call Lois a he it's almost like writing with my left hand it doesn't feel right and that's why I choose it so it's not coming from a place of just trying to be courteous it just makes sense for me um and 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 to try and I think the line gets drawn when people are trying to they people can criticize me for um calling julia she they can they can they can try to argue they can try to persuade me to call her a he because they're concerned about the slippery slope argument for example i feel that's all very reasonable to to want to persuade me it's just the way that people were trying to do it was the most sort of nasty and mean way and 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 sort of trying to belittle me and chanel and um, you know, put us down, call us naive, call us, you know, all these things that we're not, and, and, yeah. and also try to make us feel guilty. Like we're complicit in, in this problem, et cetera. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, that's not going to work for me. Um, give me an argument yeah. and I haven't found a good one yet. Um, that's going to convince me to do otherwise. Yeah, I
3: feel the exact same way. And what you mentioned about like treating different people differently. That's completely fine. Back when this all went down with Colin Wright, he had us do like a little symposium article where we all did little pieces on how we feel about pronouns. And one part that I love from his own piece that he did, he said, my friends get special treatment because they're my friends. And I'm perfectly fine with that. This impulse to make us treat everyone as if we are like the state or something. is just really, really strange. Like, of course, you treat your friends differently. Um, and I've had this pushback, too, with Lois before, uh, you know, people asking me, like, oh, you know, what pronouns do you use for Lois and stuff? And it hasn't been as bad, but people haven't. This is not even a discussion we've ever had. Like, Lois doesn't ever tell anybody what, how to speak, right? Like, how, what is your um, view on this, Lois?
4: I honestly, I don't care what people, what sort of pronouns they use on me. Like, I'm not going to compel somebody else's speech. They're an individual looking at me as an individual. We are not some part of a collective. So I want to have a human experience with the person. And that's what I had with meeting Neil. It was a human experience. I didn't I, introduce myself as anything other than Lois. And that was that. Like Even with you, I've, I've known you for how many years? I like still haven't four. told yeah. I know, and I haven't told you my pronouns. And it's like, whatever. How did me, we whatever. last this long? <laughs> I know. And then, yes, no, like, I get it too, like, you, you can, you have your approved transsexuals or trans people that you use preferred pronouns, and then same with me, I'm like, I, the ones that I don't approve of, I don't use pronouns, I'm like, I don't care, I see reality, and I'm going to stick to it, so most of the trans people that I interact with are he, him, I'm not going to... like Marty yes <laughs> that's a he cam
3: <laughs> and that's entirely up to you that's yep. the whole point exactly and it's actually funny i'll tell you i don't think i've ever told you early on when you and i were really starting to talk tara and i were kind of going through this my tara is my partner and we would sort of alternate we weren't too sure what to use for you because this was like really early on and eventually it was tara who was kind of like okay let's just call her she like let's just stick with that let's just." you know because why not it makes it easier we're not flip-flopping we've agreed we respect you we like you and it was very easy and especially after talking to you more and after meeting you that just felt natural like there's no i would have to like people sometimes make the argument that using preferred pronouns is is extra you have to go an extra step you have to kind of train your brain and and, and almost lie to yourself but i feel like if i had to now switch for you i'd be fighting my own brain to yeah,
1: I think call it's the other you he yeah I Like, I know when I wrote um, that piece for Graham Linehan's Substack, I deliberately avoided using pronouns about Lois because I didn't want to wade into this controversy because the point was not to say what I thought about pronouns. It was to tell my story of my you know, experience of Lois as a person to try and get attention to this fundraiser so Lois can get medical care. And it was excruciating to write this thing without using pronouns. It felt gross and awful and that's the thing I think people try and uh, say when they're like oh you're going to have to like fight against your internal urge and there is some truth to that but I think people make this assumption about what their urge will be because of their perception of other people mostly through the internet these aren't real relationships with real people and when you meet someone in person um, it's different you see them as a person and um, you know and I, th- I think it's really you know the other the other thing that's weird is this we 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 we've all used this language a few times where we say like what are my pronouns like they're a possessive thing that you own i don't think anyone has pronouns they can have a preference of what they how they would choose to be referred to but you know like this i've been in a few meetings that were really uncomfortable where you know it was a kind of a, a work meeting or and people would, you know somebody would start the meeting and say everybody introduce themselves and their pronouns and I've never seen such discomfort from people because even the people that I saw that were like sort of happily participating they didn't really care as much about their pronouns. They they cared about they might have cared about other people's pronouns, right? They were they wanted to be respectful of other people. But there's only a very very small group of people that care about their pronouns. And It's not that i think we shouldn't pay attention to the concerns of those people i think that we should the same way we should pay attention to anybody's reasonable concerns about their them being respected in in social interactions but respect is something we negotiate right and and some people show up with a default higher level of respect for strangers some people less and that's based on your personal experience and, and and why you trust or respect people more from a default position but for me, I'm I'm generally quite respectful and trusting of new people um, until they give me a reason not to be, and and then I'm less likely to be respectful. Of them. And that's not just going to affect what pronouns I use about them. Other than in most cases, uh, until you know five years ago, pronouns were pretty obvious. For you know, you could just assume pronouns pretty carefully. I mean, unless you go back to the SNL, it's Pat days. Um, You know it it was pretty much a safe assumption that you could guess the pronouns and if you weren't sure you just didn't use pronouns and you asked certain questions to figure out maybe what pronouns were appropriate Um, and we all knew how to negotiate this right and nobody was labeling themselves or putting a a sticker on their chest that says hello my name is you know whatever and my pronouns are so maybe we could get back to actually getting to know each other and negotiating those things
0: I was at a, a gaming convention on the weekend in Washington, D.C. Um, there's this game called Blood on the Clock Tower. It's a social deduction game. My wife and I are completely obsessed, and the creators of the game were there. So we, we drove down to Washington, and of course, in board game culture, it's it's very it's very woke. And so they announced ahead of time there would be um, ribbons for pronouns, and every, oh yeah, you have board games behind you, love it. I have like half of those on the on the shelf down there behind us. Anyways, um, so we, they, they announced ahead of time there would be pronoun ribbons, so don't worry, all that's covered. And I thought, oh gosh. So I walk in and sign up and they have all the ribbons as the she, her, and there's the they, them, and there's the write your own in, in case you need something that's not on a pre-printed one. So I, I just left them and didn't pick one up because I, as you said, it, I think it should be obvious. I think what I'm going for is obvious. And if people don't want to use that, that's their choice. But I don't think it's that difficult to know what I'm going for. Um, so I didn't have a ribbon and almost everybody else did. And then at one point during the conventions, the, the storyteller is running through this game and they need to refer to me and they just kind of pause and they're like, I need to know your pronouns. And they, they called me out like, I need to know because I can't continue this if you don't clarify for me and it's not on your name tag. And, and and it was just the weirdest thing. And I'm thinking at this point, like call me he, him if you want. I don't care. Let's just, let's just play the game we're playing. But it's it becomes, like you said, such a big thing to know other people's pronouns. And I, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather get anything at that point.
2: I think it comes from fear on both sides. So the the people that want to stick to oh stick to reality and make sure you correspond your pronouns to what you see, objective, truth, whatever, that comes from a fear because they're fearful that if they don't do that, that if they, if they concede anything, that they're going to be complicit in a system that's harm ultimately harming children. I think this is ultimately about the concerns about the harms for children. We want to protect children. Um, and there's fear on the other side, the people that are doting and wanting to, you know, announce pronouns and make sure they don't misgender anybody is again, because they want to feel good and they want, they're, they're afraid of looking bad or being bad. And so, and I think, I think if they can just get to just have that realization or that, um, see when what's driving, what's driving their, um, sorry, I'm not explaining it properly, but you, you, you know what I'm talking about.
1: And I think there's a, there's another interesting element to this that, as Canadians, I think is relevant. Because I, I don't know that it's as relevant anywhere else, but I know it is relevant in Canada, is that, unfortunately, the way that the laws currently exist in Canada, especially the human rights um, laws, if if I'm in a personal interaction with you, Julia, or Lois, and, and we know each other, we have a relationship, I am choosing whatever pronouns I choose to refer to you, I'm not really very concerned that either one of you is gonna take me to a human rights tribunal for misgendering you, right? That's not a concern, but that's not the way the law works. Unfortunately, the way the law works is that anyone can complain on your behalf, whether you agree or not, that I have misgendered you. If I'm if I'm not in your presence and I slip up and refer to one of you as he, um, technically, that's grounds for a human rights case. And when we have a legal system that is structured that way, it disincentivizes um, genuine interactions with people and it it incentivizes this fear culture, right? Like you hit the nail on the head, Catherine, it's people are afraid for one reason or another to just speak as they normally would. And without that free communication, then we can't have a free exchange of ideas and we can't figure out where we agree and where we disagree because we avoid huge areas of conversation. And I think I, I, I can speak for myself, I have entire groups of people I interact with, friends, where this is a subject that I walk around with a ten-thousand-foot pole, because I just I just don't want to go there, and and it's I would love to have reasonable conversations with them, but I all my attempts have resulted in unreasonable pushback, um, and assumptions about what I think and what I feel, and that is that really disincentivizes having a broader conversation about these things and actually maybe reaching a point where as a culture we can you know, be compassionate and be understanding and be respectful of people. But like everybody needs to be in on that and it can't be these like Mm -hmm. lines of fear.
3: I think the, a big issue that I think is, is a part of this is that both sides really are seeing pronouns as like this proxy for reality itself. And I'm kind of disappointed. Our side, I feel like when we take pronouns our side, when we take it so seriously that we start to police each other's speech, we're doing the exact same thing we are making we are reinforcing that those pronouns are reality versus if we were comfortable and if everybody was grounded in reality they would be nothing more than a social nicety that you choose to extend to some people you know speaking about like the reason why i don't agree kind of with the slippery slope i think that's amazing neil how you said that it seems that way to people Is you know for example i was watching the other day uh the transparency podcast they had dr paul Vasion, on which was fascinating i loved it so he's worked with the, the fafafine in samoa right and the Aarons, I don't know which one it was, both of them, asked him a question at one point. What pronouns do people use for these men? So if anyone listening, the Fafafine are basically like a third gender category. They're same-sex, same-sex attracted men, they're effeminate. Um, and so they said, what pronouns do people use? And he kind of laughed because it's really not an issue. Because in Samoa, they they have a third gender category, but no one's confused about that these are males. Like, people know they're males. And so when it comes to pronouns, they kind of just some people use he, some people use she, the Fafafine themselves would never think to police anybody's language or to demand any pronouns. It's just not an issue. So here you have a society where some people are nice and call them she and her and and whatever their language is, but they haven't forgotten the reality of the situation. They don't actually think these are, you know, biological females, and women. So I understand every culture is different. But that's why I think us you know, policing each other's language on pronouns is kind of just reinforcing it and playing the same language games. You know, on the other side, they want you to recite trans women are women as if it's magical. But then on our side, we can't, you know, you're not supposed to call a woman, a trans woman, she and her, as if it is also some kind of magical incantation that we, we shouldn't say otherwise. It's real and we're reinforcing it. And I just want to get away from, our language being just that important sometimes we just want to be courteous and nice and i I totally get why some people have drawn a hard line in the sand and don't want to do it but i'm i'm not there i don't i don't want to be at that same
2: point you know i think it's important to fight against that it's almost puritanical to draw that hard line right it's what Mm -hmm. we're trying to get away from but again i can't again feel free to to use the Pronouns that you feel comfortable with. Uh, it's not. It's not for me to to judge. I just want the same respect in return.
3: Yeah. I- like sometimes in my reporting, uh, I talk to sources that are quite pro-trans and, and use those preferred pronouns and. I'm just speaking to a human. I'm not going to, you know, tell that person how to speak. I'm not going to lecture them. We're just having a conversation. I know what they mean. I know who they're referring to, you know, but I see this on Twitter. Sometimes there'll be a story where maybe someone's using they to refer to some kind of criminal that's being talked about. And half the comments are on like just policing that use of language. It's like, okay, we get it. That's not really the important thing here, in my opinion. I was just going to say it
2: almost takes away from like, if you do think that there's a huge problem, then you think like, okay, if I just use the, the 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 pronoun that corresponds to that person's biological sex, then I'm off the hook. I've done my job and there's nothing else to do. I think that that's the last yeah. thing that we need to worry about. We have larger problems. And the biggest problem in this, uh, I would say, you know, the slippery slope. Um, what was the slippery slope then? Maybe it was people stopped fighting for free speech. Because If we had continued to have free speech and uncensored um, media and free flow of ideas then we would have uh, the, the actual accurate medical data and knowledge out there so that people can make actually informed decisions about whether or not they want to transition. And as we see what's happening, the the, the the medical scandal that's happening with children being put on this medicalization for life, it's happened because they're not being given good advice. They're not being given, parents are not being given the full story. And, and that's the real, that's the real crux of the issue. Um, and there's many reasons for that too. And it's part of, my, my belief is, is part of it actually has come from, we had this birth of gender ideology Feminists actually were the ones pushing uh, gender as a social construct. Um, You're going to get in trouble for that. I know. I know. I'm fine with that. Should we clip that <laughs> for them? Just like hand it on a platter? Feminists did it. <laughs> Sorry, well, go on. <laughs> I mean, I was talking to somebody recently who reminded me that it was journalists, female journalists, wanting to get into men's locker rooms. So for years, women were fighting and they fought and they won to get into male locker rooms and now they're complaining when trans trans women men want to enter into female spaces leave that aside at the moment i'm probably going to get in trouble for that too (laughs) um but this is a just can i just add something to, to to this just from my perspective look i am two years into sort of figuring this stuff out Um, I had no knowledge. I, I mean, I did philosophy at UFT back in the early nineties. I studied postmodernism, but in terms of all these cultural battles, I'm like only a couple years in to this where I've been sort of, I started with nothing and then I've just been researching and learning and reading and I'm not coming from an academic background. And so, um, I, I realized that part of the last video that we did in Ottawa, was stepping into some stuff because of of the ways that Chanel and I were talking about things were not the ways that certain groups, um, want us to talk about those things. And that's just because I'm just an average mom who's just an average person who perhaps at this point, you know, um, is actually recognizing that even in the last six months, I've learned so much. So I like these conversations. We're having a conversation. and what's going to happen is after this conversation i'm going to sit on it we're going to put it out there on t- on twitter i'm going to get all sorts of criticism and maybe my thinking will change or maybe maybe it won't i don't know but i'm open to like putting myself out there with my ideas and i think that's the whole point am i supposed to enter into a conversation like this with all the knowledge like and and am i supposed to or am i supposed to say Hey, this is where I am right now, and I'm in you know I'm trying to figure things out.
0: I just want to comment I don't think you're an average person I think you're a pretty phenomenal person but <laughs> other than that I agree
1: yeah, but I think it's important to note that that the those of us that have been I don't know what it is so what is so compelling about this issue right I have asked myself this question a million times like, why this thing why and why am I so focused on this issue and there's a bunch of very valid reasons I think and uh, but I get a lot of criticism, criticism because people look at me and they're like you're a white straight dude what do you care um, but it, it does affect my life in some fairly major ways but the average person does not have the level of understanding of these issues because it takes years to dig into how we philosophically arrived at some of the arguments that are being made by both sides um, and and it really takes years to even get to the point. Like I was laughing with my wife the other day that I, I can still remember around probably twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen, when when the the language of trans man and trans woman was becoming popular in in sort of media culture. And at that time, I listened to a lot of pod. I, I've always been a podcast listener, and I listened to a lot of podcasts that would now be considered super woke. Um, a lot of NPR stuff and and they were bringing these issues there was a lot of storytelling podcasts and these were featured stories these were like LGBT focused podcasts and every other story was about someone who was trans identified and their journey you know and I was very compelled by these stories I always found them very interesting but I can still remember the cognitive dissonance of trying to figure out when I first encountered the language okay trans woman is that a woman that is transitioning or is that a man who has transitioned to become a woman and I can remember the the struggle to like, I, and I genuinely wanted to understand, like I wanted to understand what they were saying. And, and when you're listening in an audio only format and it's a third person telling a story about someone, you don't have the other cues to try and figure out these. So you spend the first five minutes of the story instead of listening to the details of the story, trying to figure out, okay, which way are they transitioning here? Like I just, this is feels like it's important information about this individual story and the language is not communicating to me the basic facts. And now it's like I... I sometimes forget that when I have conversations with people, I can see that look in their eyes and, and it takes me a while to pick up on it that I'm talking to someone who isn't as concerned about these issues. They're just an average person going about their life. And this, I don't try and force these conversations with people, but it might come up in conversation related to something else. And we'll end up talking about it. And I can see that cognitive dissonance happening. And it reminds me that, Oh yeah, there's this broader group of the, of the world here, even in the West that is not immersed in these issues of gender. And, the language still confuses them a little bit. And sometimes you have to spell it out for them. um, And that it's, we need to be able to have conversations where, if these are going to be national conversations, they need to have some some basic level of understanding and some basic language that we can all understand the, the basic concepts that we're talking about here. And I think we're getting there, but that's still really confusing for a lot of people.
3: It is, yeah. Yeah. And you know, Catherine, I think, so you said like two years you've been kind of
2: aware of this stuff. It was, uh, it was June of 2020 that I kind of, um, had the, (laughs) I would say awakening where I was like, I, it was like a period of like a week or two where I was just immersed in certain things and people like Helen Pluckrose were put in my, in my field of vision and I was just absolutely shocked and alarmed. And then from that point on, I need to I need to figure this out. So like I just want to
3: say, like, I think that's plenty of time for you to have a very well informed opinion. I think that because like what I saw some people telling you and Chanel was that you're just naive and you're going to get to where we are eventually. And I and this was from people who haven't even been in it as long as you are. You know i think that i don't like this idea that given the same amount of time we're all just going to come to the same conclusion you know myself i've been doing this maybe four years i know lots of people who have been involved in this far longer and they They sort of agree on the pronoun issue it's not that you're in this long enough and you come to these hard lines actually the longer I'm in this the longer I see the need to have these conversations and to not make these hard lines and to be able to speak and more and more and more to see the importance that this all really hinges on just freedom of expression and freedom of speech rather than this one you know some people see that this, this is this one issue that you can just focus on all by itself and that it's not connected to anything else this kind of broader attack on just free speech and like freedom of expression and association but it is so I think that if you're just thinking oh it's okay to shut down free speech or to coerce people's speech on this one issue then like you're actually against everything i stand for because that's just not how any of this works you know and yeah so i just want to say i think it's perfectly fine for you to have your opinions they might change but it doesn't mean that they have to especially not from people attacking you that's well not,
2: that's not what's going to change my position on free speech i feel is not going to change i mean that's something that's taken me years to develop to that under fundamental understanding of why we need it um so that's not going to change but in terms of my knowledge about certain issues um you know then i might be able to t- discuss issues with certain weight way- like there's a ways there's ways of discussing certain issues that like i've been focused on what's happening in k-12 to education so then when we had all of a sudden this discussion the one that we had in ottawa and people were sort of coming at us, it was like, oh, it's because I've always been focused on woke ideology in K to 12 education. And I haven't been really so focused on the feminist issues, or like the women's spaces issues, or the women's shelters issues, or the, or the, you know, the women's prisons issues, right. And I, I mean, I've been aware of them. And obviously, I I, su- I support those issues like I want, I, I don't want uh, men to be able to self-ID into women's prisons or women's shelters. Um, but I recognize that there's ways that that, that we stepped in some minds that I probably wouldn't have stepped in had I had a little bit more, you know, thought into it. And now, of course, I'm, a, you know, a little bit further aware. I do do, like I will say that I had a chance to really sit down and sort of analyze my own view on the pronoun issue after that. And if anything, I have just become even more comfortable with my position on that.
1: I think it's really interesting that, you know, I love that you're you're willing to kind of take in new information and allow your mind to be changed, Catherine. I think that's very important because I see, I get frustrated so often in these conversations at how ideologically rigid people are, on, on both sides, which drives me nuts because um, I don't think that that's a human quality. Um, I have uh, um, some significant personal experience with Uh, cult behavior and people that are highly dogmatic and I know what that's like in real life um, to talk to people that are so rigid ideologically that they literally will not accept new information Uh, and yet they are easier to talk to than half the people on Twitter about this subject Um, like literal cult members are easier to talk to than half the people on Twitter but I think that a lot of the problem is that people are upset one way or another with where we are as a society depending on what their perspective is. And they're, they're trying to understand these issues. And the problem is these issues are so unbelievably layered and complex and they, they cannot be boiled down to a simple narrative of how we got here. Anybody who claims that they understand how we got here doesn't know enough about this issue. They're, they're experiencing the Dunning Kruger effect, you know, um, and you'll get a lot of that pushback, you know, you'll get people who are concerned about one aspect of this issue of where, um, you know, gender and the conversation about gender affect some portion of society or life, they will be really confident, really sure that they know how we got to that point because that's what they've learned, right? They've, they've dove into that issue. That's what they've exposed themselves to, whether it's K through 12 education and kind of like, you know, postmodern critical um, theory stuff and you're worried about, or whether it's, um, you know, some other variation or prisons or, you know, more of a feminist approach of things. And the reality is there... This is the interesting thing about the gender topic. I know lots of other people who are concerned about other subjects, but gender touches almost everything in our lives. It's so foundational to who we are as human beings that you can't avoid this issue. And I think the reason it's such a hotbed topic too is because it's become part of this victim culture uh, that we are engaged in as, as a society where there's many ways in which people can claim victim status and they can use that to advantage themselves in some way in society because our society is very very catered to that right now and this is the only category where i'm not saying that this is happening broadly but where it is possible for people to identify into the victim status it's the only category there there, i can't we all know what happens if i pretend to be a different color of skin or if i claim to have indigenous heritage and maybe get a job at a university teaching indigenous studies Right? There's a time limit on how long that goes before you get caught out. And when you get caught, society does not treat you well. But this is the odd slice of our culture where if you were to choose to do so, and I think we could all find examples of some individuals who have weaponized this, you could successfully identify into this category and you could claim victim status and it would advantage you in multiple ways uh, and you would get special treatment, and you could not only get special treatment, you could use that to punish other people who didn't agree with you or spoke out against you. And I think that anyone who has a basic sense of fairness on some level recognizes that that's not, that's not okay, and that's not what we're trying to achieve when we talk about equality and equal treatment in society, and when we talk about a, uh, you know, protections for discrimination in society. That's not what anyone had in mind but that's what's happening in isolated incidents. And that gets on everybody's skin because we all know at a deep level, it's not fair.
0: Yeah. Very I have nothing well to said. add to that. That was so well said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I hope that was the case. There was an awfully awkward pause there where it was like, oh no.
0: <laughs> no, we're just
3: connecting you to the now We're just gonna <laughs> kick you out. <laughs> It was just very, very, very profound. It's true.
1: Well, I, we'll see. I, I may have to mute myself for a kind of side exit because my uh, wonderful babysitter, is, her time is up and she's leaving. So the, the younger one may come in here looking for snacks or get changing her her show periodically in the next few minutes.
0: Does the young one have yeah, thoughts no on sex and gender? Because uh, if so, she can just join. I, I, d- I don't know.
1: <laughs> um, she she <laughs> basically understands mummy and daddy right now and everyone else is the babysitter. She's
3: Well, I did want to add um, just to make like my stance super duper clear, because I think, like I said, I I get really tired of people making assumptions like about Chanel, about everybody. Right. You know, so. Um back in January I did write that piece for Colin Substack about pronouns. Um so that's been months now, it's been out there. And this has been my position since the beginning and this whole blowback to you guys actually did cause me to pause and, and reflect, like not just not just negatively react and say, No, I'm doubling now. And I was like, Okay, this is very important to a lot of people I respect. A lot of people I respect and friends with were pushing back on that conversation. So I thought, is my stance okay? Is it actually harmful, you know? And after thinking about it for like a week straight, I pretty much just went back to what I wrote for that piece. And I like to just read literally just a very few excerpts. Um, so I started it by saying, like making it very clear that, uh, preferred pronouns should not be mandated in any context and certainly not by government. That's the stance I will always take. But, uh, The rest of my piece was sort of focused on the fact that at the same time, as resolutely as I stand against the coerced use of preferred pronouns, I feel just as strongly about the policing of people who do choose to use them, whether for friends or family, or even for strangers. Um, And at the end, I had a passage which I still really agree with. I said, at the end of the day, I am convinced that the countless harms of gender identity ideology stem from forcing people to lie about reality, not from individuals making a private choice about the words they use when speaking about a friend. In fact, I think it is the very human impulse to accommodate and make allowances on a personal level that helps us avoid a mindset which seeks to control others. Mm-hmm. So that's my stance, and I've been sticking to it since
2: I wrote it. So. And I agree with that stance. I think there's like uh, some of the conversations that i've had um surrounding truth like this idea that um, we need to um speak to the truth at all times and like on an individual basis um and i think that the whole point about classical liberalism liberal science is that it's there is an objective truth um It exists, you know, it it can be it's there, but liberal science is a process that is trying to uncover it. But it's never you don't ever fully arrive at what is true. Like there is this it's like we can make truth claims about what's true. I can say this person is a woman, a female, and it's a truth claim. But to prove it absolutely is not part of what liberal science is right and and so what that allows is though for the constantly we constantly have to verify and verify and verify and verify or rather we also need to falsify or try to falsify our truth claims right and and that's in the in there there's like that um you know to say that something is absolute truth is sort of like this arrogance so like in liberal science there's this built-in sort of humility to, um, you know, saying, okay, I think I know, but we're always just gonna leave it a little bit so that we don't make those absolute claims.
1: You said the most important thing there that I wish more people would understand, which is, you know, you see it all the time now, like you drive around, you see signs on people's lawns, it's not as bad, but a year ago, or two years ago, it was really bad during the pandemic, where you see, in this house we believe. And those were more dogmatic than some of the most you know religious hard-nosed people I've ever met in my life those signs because they fundamentally misunderstand the basic premise that they're supposedly based on which is that the beliefs that we come to if we really believe in the scientific method are falsifiable not verifiable Mm -hmm. and when you go to try and understand something if you go seeking information to to prop up your hypothesis you are doing it backwards you are trying to confirm your bias instead of disconfirm your bias and this is something that drives me absolutely nuts i'm guilty of it myself too i think everyone is every human is because we don't like being wrong right but you know i like the understanding that being wrong isn't the being wrong doesn't feel bad right when we are wrong we don't feel bad because we don't know we're wrong the thing that feels bad is the moment you realize you're wrong when you are confronted with a truth that is at odds with your understanding of what you think is objective reality. And that is an uncomfortable feeling for, I think, any rational human being. And I know that was something I struggled with for a long time. And, man, in my 20s and my early 30s, I was one of those people. I would argue the wrong point just to be right because I just I loved being right and I like to argue. And, you know, now I've had a whole bunch of experiences that have led me to the point where I'm quite the opposite now. I mean, I, re- I don't want to be wrong a second longer than I have to be and that means you have to be open to really listening to other people and listening to other ideas and other concepts and updating and correcting yourself constantly the problem with that is that that is physically uncomfortable for most people psychologically because it leaves you sort of unmoored from a sense of understanding of the world and 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 i think that that's something that some people miraculously gain at a young age i mean it took me into my 30s till i sort of matured enough to be able to think that way and it's something that can leave you with a sense of curiosity about the world and and a sense of like openness to new things. And, you know, I often joke that as, as a software developer, I should have learned this a lot sooner because the first thing that happens as a software developer is you, you write something, you put it out into the world. And then what happens? People poke holes in it and find all the bugs. And, the you know the, the default reaction of most software developers is to be really defensive about the bugs and say oh no no that's a feature right we joke about this all the time we all interact with software you've had that experience now where something doesn't work and they'll complain that that's the way it's supposed to be and it's clearly not the way it's supposed to be but you're just in denial about facing up to the reality of this you know dissonance between how you envisioned it and how it actually is you know you thought it worked this way but objective reality shows you it doesn't and so I, maybe that was part of what helped me get to a point where I could try and listen. And it's not perfect, right? It's really hard. If you were really sure about something and you, you base your entire life in some ways around uh, your understanding of something and somebody comes to you or you can a piece of evidence that strongly challenges that idea, to actually open yourself up to that and to actually ask yourself, could I be wrong? Is a very challenging thing to do and it's not fun and a lot of us don't do it and then we end up you know yelling at each other and screaming at each other about instead of trying to you know refine that process like you were talking about catherine of the way i think about liberalism and 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 you know the enlightenment and the scientific method which is sort of this abrasive process of you know uh polishing the 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 stone into something more resembling reality over time by a bunch of people all attacking this thing from different angles and trying to figure out what the heck it is and sort of triangulating with with instead of you know pentangulating with our five senses to see if something's real we're distributing that across the entire population and now you have billions of people trying to figure out if something's real and if you know enough of us agree then it's as real as it can be until someone comes along and reveals that it isn't but that's always there it's always underneath everything and i think that the average person has difficulty living with that sort of uncertainty in their daily life that's too uncomfortable it causes too much anxiety and they need to be sure about something and so we lie to ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah to be sure
3: yeah On all sides, I think, you know, and that's why you get such strong uh, commitment to language from both sides, from the trans women are women and from the no, never use wrong sex pronouns. Everyone just really wants to be very sure because then you get easy answers. I wish I could believe that if we all just stop using preferred pronouns and all this nonsense would end. I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just feel like sometimes I don't want to oversimplify what people are saying, but it feels like they kind of have that, that they they wish that were true. So then it's easy enough to fight back by not using them. You're you're winning. And I don't think so, because this is fundamentally what I have a problem with is the attack on reality is the attack on just physical reality and and what is real and what isn't. And that's a much bigger problem. And that seems too big. Almost. You want to make it smaller. You want to make it easier to tackle.
2: I think I, I saw this uh, podcast or yeah, a YouTube video with uh, Bruce Party and uh, Kate Wand, and they were discussing um, classical liberalism versus progressive or socialism and, and conservatism. And I like what he said. It's like classical liberals tolerate a little bit of chaos. Like they, there. It's actually sort of like a place of security where you're like, okay, we can let people do their own thing, and I don't necessarily like what they're doing, but I believe that it's all going to work out in the wash. If, if we just leave it, everything to their own devices, if we had a perfect, you know, if we had perfect classical liberalism, you know, we'd have this free flow of exchange of ideas and, and the bad ones would sort of like, you know, fall to the wayside. And, you know, the, you know, the good ones will rise to the top sort of thing. And we, we can deal with a little chaos in, in between. It's when we have that, again, coming from that fear, fear-based, um, reactive sort of thinking that we all of a sudden move into, we need to control. And so you see that happening conservative and in the more progressive side of, of things. And um, I, I see it in myself even still, like the the last conversation that we had in Ottawa, Julia, we were talking about should trans women have, for example, unfettered access to um, um, you know, health health care? And my my gut, my initial reaction was like, yeah, I don't know, because <laughs> I, I also know of all the potential harms that could come of it, right?
0: Yeah, that, that's the, we haven't put out that part of the video yet. Oh, okay. But yeah, the question was something like, should anyone be able to have access to hormones and surgeries just because they want to without any sort of a process? And Chanel and I were both like, no. And you were kind of like, I, I don't know how to answer this.
2: And... Yeah, because I was thrown aback because I hadn't actually considered it. But also my instinct was like, well, I know what the harms can be for people and so my instinct was I want, want to protect those people, but that's that's going back to that sort of control, you know, coming from that place of fear of the fear of harm. But at the end of the day, I'm not responsible for somebody else. They can choose what they, as an adult, they can choose what they want to do with their body and if they can get good advice. And of course, if we had a, a good system, a good medical system that wasn't corrupted you know, so that, you know, medical professionals could actually give you good advice or give you what they actually believed and went to school and they weren't forced to believe certain, you know, certain things that were not true and or were worried about losing their license for giving you their their honest opinion, then we could perhaps trust that individuals would get the best advice for them as individuals. Q
1: Lois.
4: <laughs> I was just Lois. thinking
3: that. What, what do you think? Yeah,
4: then- I thought I was getting the best advice and the best health care back in the day, but it it wasn't. Now, looking back, like regretting everything, I wish that I knew a lot more back then, even though it was a two-year process. I needed to know more. I needed more access to health care. And now, since that's over with, I don't have access to health care as an adult, as somebody who's dealing with. Uh, health issues now due to a vaginoplasty and it's like well okay well what I'm meeting what I'm getting is this so-called trans health care but it's not health care it's ideologies and it's so dismissive degrading and dehumanizing as not just as a transsexual but as a person of color I can't hide the color of my skin so when I go in there and then I'm being asked if I'm a sex worker how does that how is that trans health care what's going on with trans health care? Like, or why are my, why are you asking me my pronouns? I no longer feel safe with you as a doctor, as a nurse, as a lab technician, if you're asking me my pronouns, because what's the alternative if I'm to speak my mind, I'm put in an uncomfortable and unsafe environment. It's just, it's, it's mind boggling. And then what, these children are being exposed to, or being affirmed to believe. Like I talk to parents, parents with trans kids, that believe that the that the healthcare system is going to make them into real girls and real boys. It's like, well, hello, fourteen years post-op, I'm still not a real girl. I'm barely even a boy. I'm like hello. How many days of girlhood are you on? <laughs> oh, good Lord, I don't know, <laughs> two thousand something. Oh.
3: You should do uh, your own little video series.
1: I
4: should.
3: Oh, that'd be good. That'd be good.
1: <laughs> I think that, you know, like that's, that's an important thing that we have sort of skirted around, but you know, the other area where I think that, that people get their hackles up and start to get involved and have opinions about this subject is when children are involved. Right. And at different mm-hmm. levels, there's, you know, obvious concern about, you know, children being encouraged to, uh, start down a transition pathway that they're, they're not being honest about regarding you know what little evidence we actually do have as to you know how far down that pathway you might start go as a child if you just start by you know say socially transitioning uh we're finally starting to find out some more information about that but um the even just the the way that this gets introduced as a topic in in schools right and eva's written extensively about that about i mean i don't think it's made it out to ontario yet but the Um, The educational material under the SOGI123 doctrine that's kind of come out of particularly BC and it's in Edmonton now. It's not quite in Calgary yet, but I wouldn't be shocked if it were soon.
3: Yeah, for that particular program. I mean, Ontario has its own issues pushing gender, but yeah, our specific program. So I mean,
1: people push back when children are involved because I think we all understand the complexity of these issues. And if we have trouble as adults wrapping our heads around them, you know, anyone who has kids or you know cares about kids or has kids in their lives and understands the kind of psychological development of kids is understandably going to be a little bit concerned about these ideas being introduced to kids at a at an age-appropriate stage of their life and you know it's that's something that my wife and i have always struggled with because um we're by no means even relatively conservative in some ways we're more liberal than the crazy leftists are but um and so we try and introduce a lot of these concepts to our kids at you know what we think is an appropriate age, but even then, it's like, well, there's there's a way to talk about it so that you understand. You know, the idea that one of their friends in school might have two moms or two dads, without necessarily having to dive into the um, the sexuality of that. You know, and, and it's more of a social interaction at that. You know, when they're five or six and you're trying to explain these concepts to them, they maybe don't even understand. You know, reproduction and how that works yet. We wouldn't teach them that till they're older anyway. Um, but I think that, you know, for me, I think one of the reasons why this issue became such a big deal for me um, was because when I started hearing and seeing some of the, like, see, I I came more from the, the left culture first. And I was active on Tumblr, you know, when you, know, you hear a lot of the stories, of the detransitioners and how they got sucked into things on Tumblr. And these blogs where this was being talked about. And and I was a part of some of those conversations. I wasn't in those spaces directly, but I was seeing it happening. And it was very much a part of kind of my online language. And I was starting to see young people have conversations about how they were going to, you know, surgically transition. And, you know, that was never something that had occurred to me. But I had cancer when I was 24. I had testicular cancer. And so I had a radical orchiectomy on like very short notice. And when that happened you know the medical system was incredibly clear with me with no uncertain language what the consequences of that were going to be and that it could affect my fertility and it could potentially affect my hormone levels and this was a fairly major surgery and you know i wasn't given a whole lot of choice um, but it, they, it was very very clear to me how big a deal it was to have a genital surgery and when i saw the conversations that you know younger people even in their early 20s were having about these kinds of operations and the sort of like casualness or glibness with which we they were having these conversations i think that that sort of like set off red flags for me because i i kind of thought like whoa, whoa, whoa like what i had was a significant surgery they're talking about way more significant surgeries than what i had and they are not talking about it with an understanding that would communicate to me they get the gravity of the situation and then when I heard medical professionals talking about it that casually that's when it really started to set off alarm bells for me because my urologist was not like that my urologist was very clear what they were going to do and what the risks were and and what the long-term side effects could be and that the alternative was you know stage four cancer in three weeks um so I think that those kinds of conversations when it comes to kids and kids not being, you know, I, I hate the the word, you know, it's become a hot third rail, but I think the right word is being groomed ideologically, right? It, the problem is it gets conflated with sexual grooming, which, you know, may or may not be happening in isolated circumstances. But what we're, what the real pushback from a lot of parents is, is that parents feel like their children are being ideologically groomed into a way of thinking where teenagers literally think they can change their sex and that they will grow up to be a real man or a real woman. And they are not being told that, well, what you can do is you can go on exogenous hormones and these will be the side effects and the consequences of that. And if you're you know, informed enough and you're willing to go down that path, that may be you know, an option available to you. And that, that past that, then you can get into surgical options. And here's all the you know, potential options there and all the side effects. And that's not the conversation that's happening at all and you know having sat through uh the medical context of this you know like eva and i both spent most of the first 10 days of the trial of uh, nurse amy ham in bc as observers of that hearing in her disciplinary hearing for the bc nurses and midwives um college and the medical experts for the college are presenting this issue with a gloss of you know um it is they are not presenting it realistically not even close for them this is a social yeah. issue and these are the people that are in charge of the majority of the government-funded research into trans issues in the country and that concerns me a lot because it really worries me that that children in the current generation and future generations are not being given the actual information they need to be able to make decisions when they're struggling with you know issues of gender identity. Um, and and gender nonconformity. And it's like, I want kids to be able to express themselves however they want to express themselves. And I want them to be able to um, explore how they want to present themselves in the world. But I don't want them to be lied to about what their, the reality of their options are and what the consequences of those things are.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really the issue is that we, like, I don't, I wouldn't want to outlaw these surgeries and treatments for adults. I I don't want to control people that way. But the issue is that, you know, the the establishment is captured. The medical establishment is captured. Amy's nursing college is captured. And, And so I don't believe that they are giving good information. They're not doing good research. They're not giving good information to patients. So that's why, I mean, that's why I'm a part of this fight to try and bring attention to that. Because I don't want to lobby for laws to restrict this, but I want people to know what's going on. I think we wouldn't be in this problem if it wasn't this massive social movement. Then you would have a small number of people who want to pursue this, who hopefully would have good information, and who just make the best choices they can. And that's not something I would be concerning my life about. There are plenty of... Other minority groups out there doing things that maybe I don't approve of or that I think are funny or weird or whatever. I'm not obsessed with that. It's because this has reached these massive social levels. And not to say I think trans people are funny and weird. (laughs) It's just that I wouldn't be like speaking out against this tiny minority of people wanting to do this stuff. It it wouldn't be an issue for me. Uh, But it's just taken on this whole different um, thing. It's just one of these massive contagions. And that's why we see these harmful effects on every level with kids and medicine, uh, you know, everywhere.
0: So I have a I have a question kind of for everybody, but it specifically comes out of what you just mentioned there. I see what, what you're saying and what Neil's saying. I, I share those same concerns, but I also am concerned about the elevated hate that I am seeing towards transgender people. Because there's this ideological concern and people are pushing back against that, which I think is important. But it's very easy and I think tantalizing sometimes to push back on it in a way that just makes fun of and ridicules the most extreme examples of nonsense that's out there. And yep. I see the backlash building against the average trans individual who is not, they might subscribe to that ideology, they might not, I, I don't know, but there's, they're not the ones who are maybe pushing this, they're certainly not the medical community, they're certainly not the, the nursing college or any of those institutions. What do we do about that? What do we do about that to, to move this forward and also protect the individuals at the same time?
1: I think that there's a responsibility of people like us who have, you know, been looking into these issues for a long time and have concerns about them, to sort of self-police our own behavior as a group. And, it, and it's hard because it's not really a group. Like, there's no organization. There's no cohesive group of people. But we all connected one way or another. You know, we sort of all follow each other in the same circles. Most of us on Twitter. Um, but like for one thing, like I, I have no patience for people who. Um, go after individuals i mean i find there are individuals especially some on the trans rights activist side that i find just absolutely reprehensible to to interact with and watch the way that they interact but the reason i find them reprehensible is the same reason i find people that i agree with ideologically treating people on the other side reprehensibly and it's just a complete lack of respect and it's attacking you know it's ad hominem attacks on individuals instead of attacking the ideas and the concepts like my beef is with this system of thought and you know, I think about it because, a you know, I, it's analogous to me. A, a significant portion of my family are are members of a cult, and they're lovely people. They really are. They're genuinely some of the nicest people in the world. They believe stuff that is genuinely crazy, but it doesn't make them bad people. And the difference being that that their their system of beliefs doesn't really negatively affect other people because they don't direct it at other people, and. I disagree with them fundamentally on a lot of concepts, but I respect their right to hold those values and we can have conversations about on the edges where it's, you know, a little more comfortable to talk about those things, About where our differences are and it can be a respectful exchange of ideas. And the temperature in this whole issue is so high that it's almost impossible to do that. And, um, I know I've certainly tried to engage with that with people that I, that are completely diametrically opposed to me ideologically. Um, but that's that's really hard to do. And so I think that in lieu of being able to have those kinds of conversations, like this is a great conversation, we should have this more often, but I would say we're all fairly close on the main topics here. There's some you know slight areas of disagreement, and those are great. But I think that within our own sort of movement, if we don't police the behavior of some of the worst actors ourselves, then we're guilty of exactly the same thing we dislike about the other side. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to do that because you get called out and you get, you know, they come for you, especially because it gets, there's little clicks that exist within this thing. And if you go after one of them or criticize one of them, so I try not to do that publicly. I try and do that in in direct messages because then people's reputation isn't at stake, right? Then you're not doing it performatively in front of all their friends. Um, And a lot of people are anonymous Mm -hmm. too, right? So they can sort of hide behind that layer of anonymity which is something that I, you know, I think that's why I'm attracted to, you know, or initially reached out to people like Eva and Amy Ham and, and Lois, because I didn't feel like I was talking to an anonymous individual. This is like a real person that it was the online slice of them, but it was a real person with a real name who was sort of putting their name at stake by engaging, you know, for years, I wanted to create an anonymous Mm -hmm. Twitter account. So I could actually have conversations and not be afraid of being canceled at work or my friends abandoning me. And of course, it turned out my friends all abandoned me anyway. But, um, you know like it there's if there's not skin in the game then i think it's really easy to just name call and attack people and make gross assumptions about people and accuse people of grooming or, or fetishizing other things and i just i just can't get behind any of that it's I, i'm not willing to do that unless i know for a, i know someone for a fact i've gotten to know them and they behave reprehensibly towards me and in which case i'll i'll treat them like they have behaved that way to me but i probably won't do it publicly mm-hmm. And I don't think it's okay for other people to do that either.
2: I think there's a lot of reactivity on something like on Twitter, and I see it. I see that people are making the problem worse. They're using inflammatory, um, you know, language, or um, it's it's usually it's it's arrogance, you know, uh, or or belittling, or demeaning, or degrading somebody else's point of view, or ad hominem attacks. I tend to try to avoid avoid that, and I don't usually uh, I don't usually engage with anybody that I can see that's going to be engaging in in bad faith. I was also disappointed that there were people that were um, coming after me on Twitter, and they should have been. I was trying to engage with them in, in um, private messages, and they wouldn't respond to the private messages, but they have to put it out there on Twitter, and that's all performative. That's them trying to show off, I guess, in some way. And I stopped I stopped engaging. Um, but, in terms of what Julia was saying, it is it is the the problem. It is the question. How do I, as a parent, stand up for my parental rights, recognize that this stuff that's being taught in the schools, I'm fundamentally opposed to? Um, I don't think that it belongs there because uh, in terms of gender ideology, because I think it's a belief system, and we shouldn't be imposing belief systems on on p- uh, children or teachers. Educators in a public system—that's the whole point. Was we're, we're supposed to be non-imposing belief s- systems. How do I stand up for that? How do I stand up um, when when we're being shut down? When we're being um, silenced? when We're seeing what's happening in school boards, and Julia's been speaking up. You know the it, the the incident with the Halton District School Board teacher. You know, I mean, and parents were like outraged, and and you know, nobody was being listened to. I mean. Um, at some point, we and we see what happened in the Durham Region School Board just the other day where the parents were enraged because um, one of the books, gender queer, was uh, decided that they the school board thinks it's within their within their policies and they have no issue with it, and the parents are outraged. Um, and at some point, we have to also just protect these children from what is ultimately, I think, terrible harm. And so, um trying to trying to do that and and trying to also maintain some sort of level of civility is the key. Um, but at some point we also have to say, look, this is urgent and and I don't want mm-hmm. people like Julia to be Julia or, or Lois to be like again, I'm pro I'm against the identity politics let's start let's stop treating people as groups of people. let's stop treating. Let's treat Lois as Lois and not as a, as a group of transsexual women. Let's just start to deal with people on an individual basis as individuals. And yeah, I was, I was seeing what was thrown at Julia or what's being thrown at Julia and, and being criticized for, you know, talking and being friends with Julia, um, and so I don't know, does somebody else have, um, Lois, do you have any ideas?
4: Uh, Regarding trans hate, I don't experience trans hate. I experience personal attacks, but I don't take it personally because they don't know me as an individual. So it would be different if Eva or Neil were to say something about me. But then even when it is, quote, transphobic, I find it to be more homophobic than transphobic. I don't know. I just look at this as like this whole thing from a disconnected lens, if you would that like, because everyone just throws around transphobia, it's trans hate, it's trans this, like anti-trans. Well, what is all of this? Like, nobody's telling me that I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't have the uh, services, um, health access to healthcare, um, just basics, whatever the human thing is. I can't think of it right now. Like, nobody's wishing that upon me. Nobody's like wanting people like me dead. I'm always seeing that extreme, like, if uh, the feminists want us gone, all this stuff, it's like, what? Like, that's not trans hate. Like, let's have these honest conversations, even if they're uncomfortable. So I'm like, most of these these attacks towards people like me, it's just a personal attack. It's not trans hate. It's just a personal attack of people that don't know me as an individual. But I'm not afraid to denounce or remove myself from trans community because I don't think I'm a part of the trans community yet they speak about speak for people like me without me so but I'm not afraid to say I'm not like them like you can go and yell at them for indoctrinating children I'm like leave children alone like I'm I'll straight up tell you that I'm not like them so yeah like I don't experience quote trans hate
3: well, it's unfortunate because some people will group you with them regardless yeah. like the, of, with the ideologues and that's kind of what sucks I mean I, I experience a tiny bit of that when I'm commenting on stuff and people see that my bio says lesbian they automatically assume I'm like from the queer troop, and I can't imagine how much worse it is if they see oh your bio or they just read you as a trans woman there is backlash building I would say I think I think that, that some actual hate does live among sort of the rad fem side of small amount but I, I don't think they're harmful where I see it coming from is more of a very extreme right wing, I think that there is a lot of actual hate brewing and growing, not only just for people who identify as trans, but also just for the entire alphabet, because they're like, I am sick of this. I am sick of this, you know? And so, I mean, as someone who, like, I, I feel that a little bit for myself, but as someone who is in this space and who has very harsh words for the ideology, which I do, I don't mince words on that, I do try to be very, very careful to not stoke that against individual people. And I know I'm probably not perfect in that regard, but I try not to get into it on Twitter with individuals or make, like, personal attacks or try to paint people with a a broad brush. I try very hard to talk about the ideology, the philosophy, and the ideas. And I know that that might be lost on people. They might read my words and think all all trans people are awful and horrible, and so I think that the responsibility does lie on me to make that clear. And the interactions I've had and the kind of people who want to speak to me, uh, I think that that shows and is obvious, but... Yeah, I do think about that a lot as I'm part of this debate is I don't want to be stoking that hatred and fear. You know, I really don't. And I do feel that responsibility.
1: I think there's I'm going to get in trouble here. <laughs> but I I think there's also an element to this on on what I would call our side that I have a real bone to pick with, which is the way that I see some people. And I'm not going to label these people as a group because it's not it's it's individuals, but. There is sort of this narrative that exists on what might be termed the gender critical side that, you know, a majority or all trans women are autogynephilic and that being Mm -hmm. autogynephilic has associated with it, all of these qualities that I think like as someone who is not um particularly morally bothered by the idea of autogynephilia. I'm more actually curious about it because I don't actually see it as different than than many other, you know, whatever you want to call it, paraphilias or, or fetishes or whatever. And so maybe as someone who can look at that a, a little bit more objectively and try and actually understand it. Um, it's not that there aren't qualities, you know, I'm sure at this point, if you've been involved in this long enough, you have encountered stories of, you know, people who have interacted with some of the more, you know, extreme examples of autogynophilia that have negative personal consequences, right? But that doesn't, you can't paint everyone with that brush. And... It really it annoys me to no end when I see, especially on Twitter, I see this behavior from people who are critical of gender ideology, accusing everyone left, right, and center who might even be associated at all with any sort of a trans identity, of you know playing out their fetishes in public. Um, I think that when people play out their fetishes in public in a way that isn't in an, a consensual adult only situation, that should be resisted by pretty much everyone in society. I don't care if you're trans or not. Um, you know, I have I have the, the same problem with, um, you know, some of the extremes as, as somebody who's always been a, a, an advocate of the, you know, LGB community traditionally and had lots of friends in that community. I have issues when I see some of the examples in pride parades now of more extreme fetish behavior being displayed publicly, especially when kids are around. And, and again, it doesn't have anything to do with how they how they express their gender or how they feel. It's just I would have the exact same reaction to somebody who's heterosexual expressing their fetish that way. You know, like if, if my boss showed up to work in a leather suit or latex, I would have some questions, especially if it was like bring your kids to work day. Um, and... You know, I, I think that separating these concerns out could help lower the temperature of the conversation a little bit because I don't think it's helpful at all to accuse an entire group of the worst behavior of a select indiv- group of, or small group of individuals within that group. And I don't think that helps anywhere. It's the same reason why we wouldn't apply that kind of thinking to race or religion or ethnicity or any of those other qualities about people. You don't; People are not a monolith, right? And, you know, I've... I've met, you know, enough trans identified individuals now to know that there's quite a wide variety of expression of, and what that means to people. And I am genuinely curious about what that means to individuals, because for me, I can, I can talk to someone about their feelings about how they, you know, experience gender and how that interacts with society and the world around them and, and just be genuinely curious. And that doesn't really have anything to do with, with. You know, Their personal experience doesn't really have a whole lot to do with ideology. They may have come to conclusions and they may be influenced by other people and we disagree about those things. But like, I'm genuinely interested in understanding how they came to be there because that's not a common experience for most people. And so I do want to learn about those things. But in order to actually be able to learn about those things, I have to not make a bunch of assumptions about that person, especially not negative assumptions.
0: Can you define autogynephilia for us, just for anybody who may not know what oh, that God,
1: means? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was coined by... Ray Blanchard, who's a Canadian sexologist, uh, but it was meant to refer to the idea of being attracted to oneself as a woman. Um, I think where I would direct people for a more comprehensive understanding is, um, you know, Ray Blanchard, Michael J. Bailey, um, James Cantor are, are kind of the, and, and, Anne Lawrence are kind of the, the lineage lines, of, yeah. of, you know, um, researchers that, that kind of pioneered that research, but also, uh, I know uh, Eva mentioned uh, the transparency podcast, <laughs> which I, I understand there's a bit of a name conflict uh, um, a little bit, but uh, the two errands have done, I think, a miraculous exploration uh, by interviewing, you know, trans identified individuals and researchers about the subject of autogynophilia from a sort of a very objective, non judgmental sense. They're really trying to get an understanding of what it is and how it might exhibit. And is there an equivalent thing on the opposite sex? Um, you know, is there an autoandrophilia? Um, and I, I find these things interesting and I don't, I don't think that there's reason to make moral judgments about people unle- until their behavior, uh, starts to call for that. And I think that there are, uh, lots of people in society who have all kinds of interesting niche sexual desires and interests that don't get expressed in negative ways in society. And we don't have a problem with those. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, if someone is auto and they interact with society in a way that, you know, people who don't need to know that don't ever know that, then I couldn't care less and more power to them. Um, and you know, like to your point, Catherine, I think that would be the classical liberal stance. And I think there's a lot of people in this who would claim to be from that ideological camp who maybe don't behave that way in this particular area. And I, I take a bit of issue with that.
2: I, um, I stay away from the whole groomer discourse. I don't really think it's helpful at all. I think there is such a thing as grooming. And I think that there is what is it? It's really manipulation. And um, I think that attacking like I think we need to stick to uh, what the real issues are in terms. Again, I'm coming at it always from a K to 12 you know, perspective in the public system is to maintain like we need free speech, we need like, rather than go after people as groomers, like, no, like, I think a lot of these people that are participating, like, in this process are coming from a well-meaning place. Um, I think that, like, I mean, I'm we're transitioning away from, like, the autogynephialic uh, uh, conversation here, uh, because I'm also really sick of it as well, and... Mm. Um, I've actually had to get off Twitter for a while because I couldn't stand what was showing up in my feed. That's between the grooming, the autogynophilic, the, the really, you know, um, the, the, the trans hate that I was seeing. Right. Um, but, um, just staying back to like, we need to stay like, keep, keep, um, uh, our, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought there for a second. Um, stick to the point. The point is we want freedom of speech We don't want beliefs to be imposed on us we want to ensure that there's a free flow of of information and discourse we want parents to have rights to have the right over their children to make sure that there is parental consent of what's happening in the school system which a lot of children um there are children being transitioning or socially transitioning in schools without parental consent Um, we need to stick to these these sort of fundamentals And um, that will like to stick to the instead of trying to attack people or groups.
3: Yeah, I think there's no overstating how we have to resist this ideology just for everyone's sake, the kids, the the parents, the gay people, the trans people, because it's emboldening those really bad actors to, to do terrible things and get away with it and play the victim card. And so that's why. Yeah, that's just why I find this whole topic so important and fascinating.
0: Okay. So does anybody have any closing thoughts they want to say based on what we have uh-huh. gone over in the last hour and a half? Uh, oh baby! my god! I need to have a baby. Your are hurting right now, aren't they?
3: <laughs> oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, my last thoughts are babies are cute and we should protect them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: Agree
0: cool yeah this is a lot I mean, of we fun. can just end it there well, okay
3: in, in all seriousness though uh it's really great to talk to you guys i think it's really important that we do this kind of stuff i'm really glad you reached out julia um and i i just think that this is very important to do we might get blowback or we might get a good reception i don't care either way it was
0: yep agreed i think we're all in agreement and yes we definitely <laughs> have to do this again
2: mm-hmm. thanks it was good talking to you all mm-hmm. sorry okay bye <laughs>
1: awesome thanks so much